That is, if your kids aren't sleeping like mine, which is probably good that she's sleeping. It's been, uh, she might wake up, but uh, in our home, we have, we have experienced some illness, and I know some other families have experienced illness too, and and I kind of started um, Thursday, we were looking forward to going to Cola Wars and finishing out Revival and just seeing what God was going to do, but I, I don't know, maybe it was just the busyness of the week and some type of bacteria going around, but uh, it was going around. So anyways, if you can pray for my family and pray for others that are going through it, we would appreciate it so much. Um, but tonight, if you would open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Um, and as you're turning there, wasn't it just wonderful this week, this last week, I should say, with revival meetings? I know I was really um, refreshed. Uh, the music was outstanding, so worshipful. Uh, I know just one of the girls, I, um, I think her name was Sarah, she uh, could play the violin, and uh, really that's what the Frasers had um, hired her for, was to play the violin and to teach their kids. And then they had, a, they had a student drop out. I don't know if you knew this, but dropped out, and that was their soprano. And so Sarah filled that, and she became, and she's singing as the soprano for the group. But you could really just see the joy of the Lord on her face. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it was really just a blessing. And the messages, some of those messages Jeremy has not preached uh, in a church before. Those were some of his first-time messages. So you got the privilege to hear those. And uh, just really a blessing about giving our life to the Lord. Well, I, I want to continue. I don't know. I feel like I'm starting this up again. It's been probably, um, I don't know, two months maybe, uh, six weeks since we were in the book of Revelation and we looked at the vision of Christ. But I want to really get in this evening to look at the letters to the churches. And uh, I think most people are intimidated by the book of Revelation. Are you? Okay. I hear some notes. Good. Um, I hear some people that want to answer and just heard no and don't want to answer. <laughs> but um, I think I was, when I was a new believer, I was definitely intimidated by this this book of the Bible. Uh, there's so much in there. There's so many things that I have no idea what it means. And um, it, it's not easy. There's a lot of things that John didn't even understand. He said it's like this or it's as this. And he was seeing things possibly that were not um, even part of his time. And so he's trying to describe those things. So I guess my daughter is going good. Thank you, Sai. Um, and so we have here, what I want to help is kind of to understand the book of Revelation just in a little bit, but then understand these letters that were written, and then ultimately to get into the first letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. Now, I've entitled the message tonight, The Cold But Orthodox Church. And as we look at these churches, we're going to see that these churches really represent churches through the ages, but even today. There's seven of them. There's something about the number seven, and I'm not big, and I don't, I don't, I've never really heard pastor use talk about certain numbers and making a big deal out of numbers, but there is something about the number seven. Often it's called the number of perfection. And so these seven churches do represent Uh, different churches that could be around today. And I think there's something from each of these churches that we can we can learn from even the one here in uh, the first one here, the church of Ephesus, because I think there's a lot of good, commendable qualities. But before we get into that, I, I want us just to understand a few things about the book of Revelation. First of all, it is called Revelation, not Revelations. If you go back in uh, chapter 1 at the beginning, 
we see here, verse one, it says the revelation of or you could say by Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. And then uh, he goes on and talks more about these things, bearing witness to the testimony of Christ. But verse three, it says that you will be blessed by reading this book. And the idea here really is a public reading, reading through these things. I talked to somebody recently and they said, I kind of I kind of don't go into that book. It's just too scary. There's too many things to come. And I said, well, I said, um, you're, you're kind of missing out. There's a lot there I don't fully understand, but there's some things you can understand as you get in and you want to get more to the meat of the word. And, and it's profitable for us. Um, but the Bible is very clear. We are blessed by reading it. So in chapter one, we really have the vision of Christ in a couple. Well, many weeks ago, we looked at this vision uh, to Christ. But really, as you go into verse 19, John here now gives an outline of the book of Revelation. This is a simple outline, but it's a good one. He says, write the things which thou hast seen. Okay, that would be the vision of Christ. Okay, That's chapter one. Then he says, the things which are. The things which are is chapter two through chapter three about the seven churches and the letters that are written there, written uh, by the angel of the church, or you could say the messenger of the church. And then the last part is the things which shall be hereafter. Those are from chapter four all the way to the end of the book. Okay, and that's where really you start getting into the meat of it. But that's a simple outline for the book. But that's that's the idea, the things that will come is chapter 5 and beyond. And as you read there, there are uh, parentheses chapters. There are certain times where it's going to stop talking about the trumpets or the bowls or the sealed judgments. And it's going to talk about actually the throne room of God in wonderful uh, chapters of just really understanding uh, worship to God. And, and kind of they're, they're called parentheses chapters. Okay, And some of the most wonderful passages on heaven are found in the last part of this book. There's many different ways to interpret the book of Revelations, okay, or the book of Revelation, excuse me. Um, there are ways some people will allegorically say that these things represent certain parts of time, okay, or they represent certain things figuratively, but don't necessarily take them literal, all right? And there are some things that are figurative, just as we uh, would naturally um, read something, we would look at the grammar and the figures of speech, okay? I think as um, as a good way to interpret the book of Revelation is to understand its historical context, its normal writing and its figures of speech. And if you do that, you will have to literally see these things as coming about and these things that will take place. Okay, and that is scary. Um, But you also have to look at other portions of the Bible to help you discern the different times and the things that will come. One of the important truths that even John said at the end of this book, he said, even so come, Lord Jesus. The fact is that there's nothing that needs to happen for Christ to return to rapture us. Okay, You can be sure of that. But there are specific things that will happen before the day of the Lord, the judgment that will come. But we're not going to get into really a lot of that. We're going to get into the part that really is much easier for us to read and understand, although there's a lot of stuff in this. And so in chapter two, we see here the beginning 
of the letters to the churches. There's seven churches. You'll see in chapter one, verse two, it says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. And there's a command, right? All right. And then you keep going and you'll see verse 12. It says to the angel of the church in Pergamos, right? Okay. And then you go to verse 18 and under the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? And then in chapter three, we have four other churches. So we see these letters that are given here as under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as John is given these in each of these letters and these passages, there is there is really kind of an outline for it. Okay, so I'm being teaching tonight, but I want you guys to understand this. Okay, and we'll get into application understanding. But if you look at this, it's always written to the angel. Now, the angel, now that's interesting. When you think of an angel, I think of a big guardian angel, okay? Some of you think maybe the, the wings up in the sky. I don't think that way, okay? The Bible does not talk about angels in that way. It talks about a heavenly host. It talks about people really in fear of, of these angels and, and uh, falling down, okay? And, um, and so this angel, this word, though, is the word for messenger, So many have understood this word to mean a representative in the church, like a pastor or somebody in authority in the church. Some have thought of this to be the guardian angel of the church. That's an interesting concept. (laughs) If we had our own guardian angel. But probably because it talks about writing this and and he talks about uh, the Lord Jesus in in verse 20 there in um, talks about him holding. It says, the mystery of this of uh, chapter one, verse 20, if you read this, says the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven, seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest are the seven churches. So it talks about the Lord Jesus in this vision, holding the stars or the angels and holding the candlesticks, which are the seven churches. And Christ is holding them. But the idea here is probably not an angel, but a messenger. Because it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, and these other ones, it's telling him to write, to declare, to give this message from God. Okay? So we see that in every one. And then there's something about Christ that's given. Something about who Christ is and something with reference to that particular church, but really helpful for all of us, that's given in chapter one, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So that's a reference to Christ. And there's a lot of truth there for us this evening. The fact that who holds, if we want to say now this representative being your pastor, which a lot of people would believe that this being, who holds your pastor in his hand? The Lord Jesus. And I don't know about you, but as a, as a pastor and as a, uh, a person in the gospel ministry, what a great comfort to know that God's got my back, <laughs> that he is there, and to boldly preach his truth no matter what the consequence may be. But it also talks about um, Christ walking within the churches. Now, this morning we had a song, in, in God's presence there is comfort, Right? This is talking about the presence of the Lord as he goes through his churches. That's a good thing, correct? (laughs) That's a wonderful thing. That's something we want. We want God to meet with us. And that's what he's reminding us of the the church in Ephesus here, that God 
is holding. He's holding the pastors up. And he's there with his presence. Because truly that's what we want. It's a wonderful encouragement. In each one of these letters, you will see something about Christ being lifted up. And sometimes they're hard to understand, but there's some truth that's coming about. And then there's always, uh, or most of the time, there is um, there is a commendation, something that God will say, or the Lord Jesus here, as John's writing it, will say, there's something I know about that church that's good. Those are truths, those are traits that we need to hold on to, okay? And there is only one church that he does not commend and lift up with a trait. Do you know what church that was? The church of Laodicea. He did not commend and, and build up. Um, you're getting to something else. <laughs> and uh, But really, as we look at, we will look at this church at Ephesus, there are quite a bit of things that God is just saying, this is wonderful. This is good. It was a very orthodox church, as we'll see. A lot of good qualities. As I looked at this as a parent, I thought, man, these are a lot of good qualities I would want in my children. A lot of good things. A lot of good qualities I want in my, my life. A lot of good disciplines. But with every church, except for two, he says that he has something against the church. Now, there's two, actually, that he does not. But in Ephesus, as we'll see, he says you, he says there in, in verse um, for nevertheless, I have something against thee. I don't know about you, but the Lord is shooting straight. And you got to be shaking in your boots when you hear God say, I have something against you. And he says here for Ephesus, he says, because thou hast left thy first love. Wow. We'll think about that a little bit more. But there were two churches he did not find anything against. That's interesting. Um, that's, that's a good thing. That was Smyrna in Philadelphia. Again, all these churches, seven churches that are represented here, they're all in Asia. And it's interesting that there's certain churches that weren't listed. Uh, some very main churches that are not necessarily in Asia Minor, though, but Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, you'd think... That would be a church that should be in here. Or the Philippian church. Or you would think the church at Antioch. That's where they were first called Christians. Um, you would think some of these, the church of Colossae. Or um, the church at Corinth. But I think, again, coming to that idea that there's these represent different churches. There has been a thought that these churches represent certain ages of time in the Christian history. And uh, some some hold to that. I personally do not hold to that. There's a couple reasons I don't. Although it's interesting because the church of Ephesus does definitely describe the apostles, without a doubt. And the I don't know about the lost their first love aspect, but the other part, the good stuff, okay. But uh, the church at Laodicea, or of the Laodiceans, it has really nothing good to say about them and how they're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor they're cold. And that might represent the time in which we live, for sure. But truly, it's, if you looked at all the churches, that I don't think it does represent. Because I know a lot of people that are on fire for God. A lot, of, a lot of missionaries are on fire for God. But probably one of the biggest problems with that thinking is this. 
you, if you believe that, you believe you do not believe in the imminent return of Christ. Because you think all these ages that are represented by these seven churches had to come about before Christ could return. That's, that's a big problem, isn't it? If we believe again in the imminency of Christ, his return is at any moment. All right. So there are some people that believe those things, but I think it gets it get mixed up. And it kind of also, if we believe that God's word is is relevant for us, it's inspired and it's profitable for us. If we think that these letters were only for certain ages, then it would say that these letters really aren't necessarily needed for us today. And that that may be not what some people would think, but that's not a good thinking either. Okay. And so, getting a little teachy here, but so there's always a location, there's always a messenger that's told to write it. There's something about Christ. There's God's commending certain things for most of the churches. He's condemning things. He has things against the churches. He also exhorts them. These are the commands to get right, to have a sound church. And probably one of the biggest reasons we are studying this passage is how can Westside Baptist Church be a sound church in the community of Eugene. We are going through a lot of transitions with our church and buildings moving and, and all the different things and even trying different things in Sunday school and with our teachers rotating. And, and those things are not just to try to reach more people or more people come, but they're to help our church to be sound. Okay, even, even moving into a new building, ultimately that's a tool to be used of the Lord. Even in our design committee, it's not... The idea is how can we have a place that's presentable? How can we have a place where the lights are good, where the sound is good so people can hear the gospel? How can we have a place where parents can go to church, where their kids can be in a nice nursery, and where there can be children's ministries so that the whole family can be reached? Okay? And so we, we need to think in that way. And I'll tell you this, going to the mission field, you realize that it's not about your building. Okay? These pews that we have are wonderful in here, okay? Um, after going down to Peru and you sit on a, a, a wood pew that's probably as, as deep as this, literally, sitting on it for about two hours, okay, being shoulder to shoulder with somebody, uh, they don't have air conditioning or heating. I mean, it was open. Um, you soon realize that really the church is not about a building. It's about Christ and it's about people. And so, but how can we have a sound church according to the scriptures? So there's always an exhortations to get right. There's commands and there's always a promise. And one of the things that's always comes at the end of each letter that's written to each seven of these uh, churches is something like verse seven. It says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. All right. So again, that's, that's, that tells me that this is not just for a certain age or for uh, this particular church, but it's for the churches. It's interesting, he says, he that hath an ear. The idea is, it doesn't say ears. You have just one ear even. The idea is if you hear it, listen intently so that you become a doer of the word. And he ends with a promise there. So in understanding that, let's, let's back up and let's just read this letter that was written to the church of Ephesus. And I want to preach tonight on the cold Orthodox church. Verse 1 of chapter 2. John writes, 
Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how Thou canst not bear them who are evil. And thou hast tried them who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless... I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful that your word is truth. And so, Lord, now as we journey into this book, this book that some are intimidated by, some are not. Some have spent many hours studying this this book. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would illumine truth. That the truth would be very real for us. That we'd find out the, the commendable traits of a sound church. Lord, that we'd see that though Ephesus was orthodox and good in so many ways, They had a big thing against them, so much so that you, Lord Jesus, said you would take their church away. They wouldn't even exist anymore. They didn't get this right. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would help Westside Baptist Church, the people here, that we, Lord, would be a sound body, that we'd be a healthy church, or that we would be used of you for your kingdom, your glory, and to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So help now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's interesting in parenting how when you raise your children, there's many different ideas of raising children. Uh, Some good, some bad. It's obviously good to get to know how God um, treats his children. But there are some that are definitely disciplinarians. And that's not, not a bad thing. We see how God disciplines But if you discipline and discipline and discipline and you don't have a loving, tender hand towards your children, I don't think things will turn out right. Okay, and really, we see this. There should be both a love and 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 discipline is love. But there needs to be that tenderness and that compassion and that mercy at times and that grace. We see in this passage how really this church is commended for all of these wonderful spiritual disciplines in their lives. Wonderful things. These are things I want even more so in my life. These are things I want in the church. They're things I want in my own children. 
They're wonderful things. And and these things we can hold up here. In verse 2, he says, I know your works. You see, this word know for us would often mean experientially how we know something. We can come to learn it. But with God, it's not that way. God is the all-knowing God. He is the omniscient God. He knows everything that takes place within our lives and our thoughts and our church. And he says this of the church at Ephesus. He says, I know these things about you. Okay, I know without a shadow of a doubt. These are good qualities, good traits. These are traits of a healthy church. These are not things that are condemned. These are things that are commendable, things that are good. And he, and he says here, and there's, there's different traits that he gives. And the first thing he says, I know thy works. That word works is really the idea of actions. That's the idea of uh, the busyness of the church, the activities. That would be the idea that the Lord would know the church calendar. He would know what takes place in the church, the different Bible studies, the fellowships, the activities. It sounds like it was a very busy church. This church was was a prominent church, a prominent church in Asia. There was many people that had been to this church. Uh, this is now 40 years after this church had been planted. Okay, only 40 years uh, from what my friends on my shelves tell me. 40 years, and we know that Paul spent three years at this church. This church was a beacon to Asia Minor. In fact, we read the book of Coloss- or, um, yeah, Colossians, the church of Colossae. Paul never went to. He wrote to him, but he never went to that church. And the idea is probably that the church at Ephesus grew and, and it was just used in such a mighty way that they went out and reached the surrounding areas, and Colossae being one of those places where Epaphras went. In Laodicea, in Herapolis, and some of those other areas around there, this church was used of. It was very active, okay? And that's a good thing. We know also, Paul spent, when he spent three years there, he was a part of the school of, um, uh, what's his name? Tyrannius? Tyrannius. He spent two years in this school. So they were busy in training and discipleship of their converts and helping them to grow and, and grow in ministry. And many of you that do Faith Bible Institute, you know that you are busy, <laughs> busy with daily reading and tests and all those things. And you're taking one night out of your week. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a, a good thing. It's very good. In fact, I would encourage you if you have any any inclination to go this or maybe not, maybe just go check it out one time. Be a part of something like that. It's a good Bible teaching. But they had this. Um, it was it was a very busy, active church. But it says not only that, and kind of goes with it, it says that they labored. This word labor is to, to the idea of engaging in hard work, laboring to the point of exhaustion. This is laboring, uh, sweating. Okay, This is where you have sweat in your eyebrows. This is talking about a church. But this was no doubt, as, as Paul's example was, where he labored night and day in the churches that he was with. In, in Thessalonians, it said he labored day and night in prayer for the Thessalonians. And how Paul was such an example as he was a missionary, and no doubt when he went to Ephesus, how he labored before them and they saw his example and they were now laboring. It implies the idea of difficulties and troubles. It's the word toil. Uh, Luke 5, 5 talks of Simon, uh, uh, Simon, sorry, Peter, Simon, Peter worked hard all night and he caught nothing. Remember that story? And then Jesus comes and they catch a bunch. 
That idea of him working all night, toiling, that's what's used of this church. They worked hard, night and day. Those are, that's a commendable trait. There's no doubt when we're going to revival meetings or things, when it gets busy, uh, many of you labored with putting together to the meals and things for the Frasers. We tried to make that easier, and I, I think it was a good way through the Sunday school classes, but we've had a lot of labor with our church building over there, haven't we? Remember the times bringing the food for the teams that have came through and some of us on the design committee were looking back at notes three years ago. We're looking at carpet samples and thinking, man, do they even have these things in stock anymore? <laughs> you know, and um, there's a lot of labor in all this. And many of you have been to work days and things like that. And, and I, I commend you in your labor for the Lord, but truly laboring and trying to reach the lost. The church at Ephesus was in a place where they had a, uh, like Olympic-style games that would come there. Um, and, and no doubt, they tried to reach the athletes and the people that came. It takes labor to reach the lost. Paul says he was like a loving mother. Some of you know in Sunday school. He was like a concerned father. And those, those ideas, his great love, it takes a lot of hard work to raise children, spiritual children. Discipleship, as Jeremy talked about in the room next door this last week, it takes a lot of hard work. And this was commendable. It was a good thing. And we praise the Lord. Truly, we think about what Christ did for us. It was not easy. He didn't just sweat. He sweated drops of blood. He labored for us, knowing that he would die on that cross for us. But then it kind of ties in. And these these kind of build here. It says, I know thy works. I know thy labor and thy patience. Now, there's two different words for patience in the Greek. One is patience with people. That is not this one, okay? And that's okay, um, but it's not patience with people. It's more of the idea of steadfastness or endurance. This is with circumstances. This is with trials. So what he's saying, this trait here now, that of trait of being, uh, working hard, a trait of perseverance, they were not quitters. This is a wonderful trait. They finished it. They finished what they... What they were doing. They were not quitters. Um, it's not a good trait to be a quitter, is it? I, I know one of the tough things in ministry, and as people are growing and things, and I, I'm not saying this in a frustrated way, but as you, as you oversee different ministries and things, what, how wonderful it is when somebody says, I will take that, I will do that, I'll be in charge of it, don't worry about it, pastor. We got it handled. And some of you are really good at that. And that's, that's perseverance, that's endurance. And that's good. Now the pastor should still... Overseeing things, right? But, but how tough it is at times when you give something to somebody and the ball has just dropped. And uh, that's really a reprimand to Christ and his church. And somebody that gets their eyes off the Lord. And really, uh, this word perseverance talks about the perseverance of Christ on the cross. And how we need to look to him. And so it's a good, this is a great, a wonderful trait of, 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 of patience. And, and later here in verse 3, he says... Um, again, you, you have borne uh, these things, um, as I'm going to get in here, spiritual discernment, but you, you have patience. And he says, for my name's sake has labored. Again, that word, same word, labored, has patience and has not fainted. 
The idea here is that they had not grown weary. It had been 40 years for this church and they're not growing weary. They're still pressing on. They're still going. They're still being busy in ministry. They're persevering through all the things that are going on. No doubt their their school of Tyrannius is still going. They're busy. They're trying to reach uh, out in Asia. All these things are going on. There was an orthodoxy there. It says also that they... They tried some that said they were apostles and they were found to to be not to be liars. See, there was a spiritual discernment that Ephesus also had. No doubt Paul, uh, on his influence of being there three years, really, in in fact, if you would turn, I want you to see this. um, I believe it's Acts 20. Write that down. Yeah, Acts 20, verse 26. Paul is now probably one of the last times he would be at Ephesus. He's going, talking to them before he goes to Jerusalem. And um, he says some things to them. And there are really some great things before this. Um, was it verse 26? No. Um, Let's start in verse 17. <clears throat> we see here, Paul, he, sent to, he was sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church, in verse 18 of Acts 20. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Okay, Paul was very concerned with his people that got saved and his children understanding the gospel and the truths and being discipled. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. See that the Holy Ghost witness in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Boy, what a wonderful example Paul was to this church. No, no doubt that one of the reasons they persevered is because they saw a wonderful leader that walked in the spirit and went through these afflictions. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my, my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. In the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the grace of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I am not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. So he's saying there, he's saying, hey, listen, I, I, I preached, I went door to door, I taught, I tried to do everything I could so that you would have the counsel of God so that when I leave, you would have this entrusted to you that you would be stewards of the gospel and these truths. In verse 28, he says this, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Who are those grievous wolves? They're false teachers, aren't they? Teachers that would come in and point people away from the Bible and Christ and the truth would come in like sheep, but wolves to come in to to be used of Satan to destroy the church. Verse 30, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He says here among your own selves. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them who are sanctified. And he'll go on further and talk there. But we see that this church boy got quite a quite an exhortation from Paul before Paul left. You see, Paul was very clear. I spent a long time with you. You've been used, but be careful of the false teachers that can come from without and that can come from within. You see, folks, it's very important. One of the good traits of this church, 40 years later, we're seeing they tried apostles and they were not. They were not true. They were liars. Was that they had spiritual discernment. That's something I pray for in my life. I need more spiritual discernment. You see, folks, spiritual discernment is very important for a sound church. The Bible is clear that there are false teachers that are around us that might even be among us that want to turn us away from the Bible in Christ. Let me take you to a couple other passages that help talk about this. <clears throat> One of those uh, being 2 Corinthians 11. So turn right books. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen. As you're turning there, at Second Corinthians eleven thirteen, Warren Wearsby he said this Satan is the counterfeiter. He has a false gospel, Galatians one, six through nine, preached by false ministers, like this passage. Producing false Christians, Satan plants his counterfeits wherever God plants true believers. And we know that by that, that parable, it talks about the, the, the wheat and the tares being mixed together. Um, and that's a, that's a sobering truth for our church and for the churches. But we see here the false teachers, or they're called false apostles. <clears throat> uh, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Through 15, Paul says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So here we see that a false teacher or a false apostle, they, they may not necessarily look different. In fact, they might even look more righteous. There's an outward righteousness to them. There's a facade there. As Satan is the great deceiver, they are able to transform themselves. So just because somebody looks good, they, they wear a nice tie, they part their hair real good, they have a big Bible, and, and maybe it's marked up too. I don't know. Normally that's not a characteristic though of an Apostles to go deeper into the word or a false teacher, but something where they have this facade on them. 
But notice what it says at the end. It says, whose end shall be according to their works. Part of spiritual discernment is understanding what is the fruit of their teaching and of their life. Okay? But understand, false teachers can be uh, like Satan. They can transform themselves. Let's go to another one that's a little bit more, uh, more information here too. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. <clears throat> First Timothy 6, 3, we read, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings among men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. So some of the things that we see in this passage of false teachers that can come in and I'm kind of using this nebulously, but folks, there's a health and wealth gospel. When we go around door to door, there's a lot of people that like Joel Olstein. I'm going to call him out, okay? Joel Olstein does not preach the gospel. What he preaches is the he doesn't want to talk about sin. He wants to talk about God wants to bless you, and God will bless you if you give. And normally it's giving to his ministry. And, and he wants to talk about wonderful things, nice fluffy things, okay? But there's not truth to it, all right? There's others. I'm kind of glad a lot of the Christian bookstores have closed down, okay? <laughs> um, because when we have groups come through with good music and good books, that's really where we ought to be getting our sources of material. Um, or some of these classes or Faith Bible Institute. Because there's so many out there that that really they have those gold teeth and they sound really good. They're good orators, really good, really good teachers. Uh, not teachers, really good speakers. And um, a lot of people, have a, they have a following, a big following. Um, Joel Osteen, you know, he he basically renovated a big sports arena down there, and there is thousands of people that come to hear him. But it says here, it says the idea here in this passage is um, they consent not to wholesome words. Folks, if, if someone's teaching and they cannot use wholesome words, there's a problem. And there's been some pretty, uh, there was a, a pastor in Seattle that every once in a while he'd throw out a cuss word. That's not good, okay? That ought to be a red flag. (laughs) But it's wholesome words, okay? Um, It says, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrines, which is according to godliness. Someone that that does not, really, lots of times a false teacher, who is Jesus Christ? Is there something that they reject uh, against Jesus? His deity, uh, maybe his humanity. His virgin birth. Maybe it's the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is just a force and not a person. There's something that's just odd. And they might take a Bible verse and they might say, well, look at this verse. But they don't want to look at the other verses around it in the context or other verses that would speak something that would be helpful and help us to interpret. You always interpret scripture by scripture. Okay. Also, a false teacher does not want to get deeper into the word of God. They want to get into their own books or their writings or some other writings that are out there or revelations that are out there. 
such as the Book of Mormon or um, the Watchtower Association with all their books. They, they want to somehow get away from the Word of God. And that ought to be a sign. If, if someone's not willing to get deeper and grow and look, um, that's, that's a problem. Also, do you see here just all the discord and the disunity and the chaos that's going on? That's a sign of a false apostle, too. If it's causing discord and problems and all those things, something is not right. There is a time for disunity. What I mean that is when you are truly standing up for the truth and people are not willing to follow the truth, but they want to have this tolerance attitude. You see, tolerance in our society is so commendable. Okay, And I think that's part of the reason so many people want to be, and I'm going to get political here, but people are going for Trump, okay, because they're angry and they're upset and they want to go for somebody that's going to go against the grain. That's really not a good reason to vote for somebody, by the way. Um, but um, where was I going with that? I don't know. Maybe it's, we're not even voting this Tuesday, are we? But um, the idea is that there's this discord and all these things. That's not a good attribute, the truth, when we hold up the truth, we ought, to, we ought to humble ourselves before the truth and we ought to obey it and heed it because that is God's word. The false teacher, it says here that he is full of pride, he's proud, and he's now going to lower God's truth and he's going to put himself above it and he's going to say, I am the one that interprets, interprets it the way I want to. This is going to say what it says or I'm going to ignore this part. We're not going to look at that part, and I'm going to make myself up here. You mark it pride. Pride is a characteristic of false teachers. Not only that, but again, back to their works. It says, it says here that there, uh, verse three, um, and to the doctrine which is a, I'm sorry, verse three, uh, verse five. It says, where is it? Um, that gain is godliness. Supposing that gain is godliness. Again, their doctrine is not producing true godliness to be like God, God in all of your thoughts, that humility, that servant's attitude as Christ was to his father. But in fact, it's gain. You mark it up. One of the, another sign of a false teacher is that they want money. They're always asking for money. I need money for this. I need money for that. That's a sign of a false teacher. Now, there are times we have to talk about money, right? I think it's very important. But if it's always being brought up, Something's not right there. If it's not showing what it's really being used for, if someone has to travel around to meetings using a nice jet, something's probably not right there, okay? Um, And so anyways, it talks about this. So let's go back. I know we're going longer tonight. I hope it's helpful, though. So going back to Revelation chapter 2, all these things are commendable. These are good traits of this church. Don't you think these are wonderful things? They... They, they're, they're laboring, they're toiling, they're, they're persevering, they have spiritual discernment, they're not growing weary. It's been 40 years. By the way, we're getting close to 40 years, Westside Baptist Church. Um, it's, so is our pastor. <laughs> but we're so thankful for him. And he's not growing weary, praise the Lord. He says all these things, they're sound, they're, they're finding out these false apostles. Um, they're doing these things for the sake of the Lord. But then we get to the one condemnable trait. And this is huge. And all the other things are really worthless without this trait. Did you hear that? 
All those wonderful things, a busy church calendar, doing things to reach others with the gospel, discipleship, persevering, spiritual discernment, kicking out the false teachers, understanding the truths of God's word, doing these things for the Lord's sake. But it says here, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And I I don't, somewhat's not in the Greek, I look. I have against thee, I have this against you. He says, because thou hast left thy first love. And the fact there is not that the church lost it. They didn't lose it. The idea of, of that it was left, and the King James says left, some other translations say what? You have what? Forsaken your, your love. Or you have abstained from your love. And, and really the idea here is that it's like holding something. If I'm holding this right here, okay, I have to... I have to make effort, not much, but I have to be willing to hold it right. Okay? The idea of leaving it is the fact that I rationally make a decision, and maybe this is over time, but I leave it and I go somewhere else. Or I, I put it down, I let go of it, I forsake it. But normally my hand's still what? Open. And I need to go grab something else. So something else is taking the place. Boy, this looks really cool. Something. Can I touch this, Drew? See here? It's not here. Um, now, this is pretty cool. All right? This is, I don't even know how to do this. I wasn't planning on this, but um, this is pretty neat, though, isn't it? And that's really not a good display of my love for Christ. But now I picked something else up, and now this has become dear to my heart. This has become my center of affections. Now, this could represent music, I guess. I won't play it because it won't be music, but... Um, <laughs> but could it be something like music? Yes, it could. Could it be something, and I, I didn't think through all this, but could it be something like instead of my love for Christ, maybe a Bible would be better to hold. My love for Christ, let's say this is a Bible, holding this near to me, okay, holding on my, that relationship with Christ. I put it down, now it's this, okay, Pretty soon I'm getting further and further away. I'm still busy in ministry. I'm active in ministry. I'm, I'm toiling. I'm persevering. I have spiritual discernment. But my relationship with Christ is getting further and further. And can this happen in our lives? Yes, of course. I better put this down before I break it. Um, uh, stay. Um, but this is the idea. The fervent love had cooled off. It was abandoned. It was forsaken. Um, it, but it was replaced with something else. This was a cold, cold, but orthodox church. And all about you, but that doesn't sound like it goes very well together, does it? But there are churches like this today. That's why it's represented. I, you know, I, I hope our church is not like this. I don't sense that. But I think it can come in our own person and ourselves. I think that's why we have revival meetings at times. But this would be like, uh, I listened to John MacArthur. He preached on having a fervent love for the Lord. And, and he said he when he preached at this place in England, uh, there was a seminary there, very orthodox, and he was the third preacher. And he heard the other two preachers, and it was wonderful preaching. I mean, really good. And he's just, man, he's wanting to just shout and say hallelujah, amen. And, and you know, he, he might have done that once or twice, but all the students looked at him and were like, what is he doing? But he's like, oh, my word. He said, I don't, 
the truths. He said, I'm going to write down those things. I want to develop a message from that. Some great preachers. And he gets up and he just preaches the word and, and goes out and, and just trying to help people have more of a, a love for Christ and for his word. And, and the only thing he gets is this. And he says, I don't, I don't want recognition. I don't want that. But I want people to, to, to have more of a love for his word. And he goes and he sits down at the table at lunchtime and he has one professor come over and, and hits his leg three times. And he, he said, Whoa, what was that? That was weird. Okay. <laughs> but later he told somebody, he said, why did this professor come over and tap my leg three times? And he said, well, that was the way that he was trying to show his affection for the, the messages that you gave. And he thought, that's all I got is a tap on my leg three <laughs> times. He said, it wasn't about me. But he said, shouldn't there have been just something? I mean, shouldn't there have been? And not everybody is very vocal, okay? There's not necessarily anything against that. But when we go through the motions, the mechanics, and when we can't say a hearty amen, or when we pray, we can't pray together, when we can't do those things, something, something may not be right. Because really, it's a fervent love for Christ. And I'm not going to judge anybody for the way they are. People are different. We're all unique. But to him, it was a very cold, mechanical, but sound in some ways at this seminary. Folks, we can be very sound in the truths of God, but if we've left our first love, there's a problem. So I know we've gone way past, but let me, let me keep going if you don't mind. He goes on and he says here, because you've left your first love, he says here's the exhortation, the command to recover to a sound church once again. He, he, he lists three things. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. One of the ways that we get back with that loving relationship with our Lord is to remember where it all started. I remember Bill Coleman often in our prayer times just thanking God for his salvation. Wouldn't he, Pastor? Often that would be the first thing he would thank the Lord for. Remembering what God has saved you from. And, God, and remembering. And so he's saying, remember where you have fallen Going back to that first love, I was hoping to do this, but I don't have time. But Ephesians says to understand the love of God, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, all these things to understand what Christ did on the cross. Often it's a time of remembering what Christ did for you and that that personal, intimate relationship with God. It is that's why one of the things I love our days of prayer around here is that our church can just kind of just relax, be still stop being so busy and just for us as a church to say, hey, let's get back to really what's the most important thing. And that is really just our time with the Lord. And um, so important for each of us. And if you don't have that personal time with the Lord each day, you're going to grow cold, less passionate for the Lord. You might have all that head knowledge, but your heart is not in it and it's not right with the Lord. So he says, remember, and then he says, repent. There has to be this turn. There's got to be confession of sin. There's got to be a change in our mind to remember, have that what's most important, our relationship with the Lord. And he says, really, do your first work. Someone says, repeat this, to go back, doing the things that, that were so vital to your relationship with God and that love for God. But we have this warning I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove your candlestick out of his place except thou repent. The church would not last if it did not have this passion for Christ. 
The fact is, Ephesus is not around today. The church is not there. Um, There are a lot of churches that maybe are not there, but this is not there. We don't know how long it lasted. But there's there's much more here we could look at tonight. But, folks, have you lost that passion for Christ? Sure, you're busy. You're helping. Many of you are so busy in the things that we do at Westside Baptist. This is an active church, a church that does a lot of things. Camp ministry, VBS, hospitality, music, um, nursery, all these things. And I probably missed a bunch. But all these things. But are you having that intimate time with the Lord? It's vital. Without it, really none of that other stuff really matters as much. In fact, I don't think it matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word this evening, that your word is truth. And Lord, truly, this is a a good warning to us as individuals tonight to realize that these, these traits, many of them are so commendable. So good, and some of us, we need to repent. We need to get right because we're just not, we're being lazy. And uh, we're letting a lot of selfishness and a lot of things get out of the way of us serving the Lord. But maybe it could be because we're not walking with you right. It may be that some here tonight aren't truly saved. I don't know, only you know the hearts, Lord. But I pray that you would truly convict of sin and, and bring about true repentance in hearts. Some are very involved in ministry, and there's so much with our building program and things. It's easy to lose the first love. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to pick back up that relationship, that closeness, that intimacy with you and drawing near in in the Bible study and the Bible reading and the time of prayer. Uh, Lord, that's so vital. And so, Lord, help. Help us to have those quiet times with you growing closer. Help us to remember what you've done. Not that we've forgot those things, but remember what we've forsaken, Lord, and to repent and to repeat, do the things that we first did. Lord, even when we first were a Christian, we first believed and came to know Christ. Lord, we're thankful for the ministry of your word this evening, and I pray, Lord, you do a work now in our hearts. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh,